Good morning. That should have woken you up right there. Some of you are still in a turkey coma, I can tell, looking at you. Got to you. This. How many of you ate more food than you should have on Thursday? Confession moment right here. Some of you did. Okay. Most of us had the opportunity, I'm sure. It's good to see you today. And uh, I do want to talk today about money again and kind of shift direction a little bit. The proper responses or the right response to God's blessings. Uh, the first week we looked at this, I talked to you about how does God want you to acquire money. And basically, here's a couple thoughts with that. Number one, he wants you to acquire money with integrity. And he also wants you to use hard work to get there. Now, hard work and smart work are not opposed to each other. Uh, you get paid actually by being smarter probably more than you do by working harder. So if you've got that ability and if you don't have it, pray for it and cultivate it, develop it, and let God give you wisdom as how to make money. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It does say the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, here, here's what I've discovered in my life experiences, that people love money who are poor and people love money who are rich and people love money who are right there in the middle. So it's not a matter of, well, you love money because you're here, you're there. It has to do with how much contentment do you have in life. Um, so that was the first week. Then last week, uh, we looked at five things that you should, should use in managing your money. You should budget wisely. Know how much is coming in, how much is going out. And I gave you that statement about when your outgo exceeds your income, it will be the downfall of your life. It's going to create problems. So you got to make sure more is coming in than is going out. You either have to reduce spending or increase income, one or the other, whichever you can do. And I'll tell you this, that we need to be careful, I think, in our culture that we don't pursue money with such uh, aggressiveness that we sacrifice more important things along the way. Again, that's not... You could be rich and do that. You can be poor and do that. You don't have to do it, and you could you can be rich and not be that way. It's not a matter of I'm talking to people who have a lot of money, people who don't have money. I'm talking about the attitude of your heart. You budget wisely. You spend thoughtfully. You you don't just spend recklessly because it's in my pocket, and you don't spend it until you have it. You borrow rarely. You save consistently. And you learn to value it for what it is. It is a currency that is exchanged for your effort, for your strength, for your time. And uh, you don't get to take it with you. And there are more important things than money. Proverbs says, more important than gold and silver is that you have a good reputation. So today I want us to continue on. And I'm going to be real candid with you. This sermon was probably one of the hardest for me to put together for this reason. And if you're out there saying that this is, if you are the armchair quarterback of preaching, you're going to have a heyday. Because I read probably 30 sermons just on being grateful, which is only one point of the three points today. And I could, I could very seriously without repeating myself or without just kind of driving one point the whole time, could probably give you 15 hours 
of teaching today on these three topics. I'm not going to because my mama taught me a long time ago that the brain can only comprehend what the seat can endure. So I'll try to get to the points and be quick. Just understand this. There's a lot of meat left on the bone today, okay? So I'm not giving you everything that's out there. I'm not trying to find the most obscure thought just so I've got enough material. My goodness, this could go into a year-long series talking about how we respond to the blessings of God. I want to start by going to uh, Psalm 116, and I want to read all of it today just kind of quickly uh, with you here. And it's, it's a very familiar psalm, and it talks about how the psalm writer will react to what God has done for him. Psalm 116, verse 1, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Can somebody say amen? amen. By the way, I hereby grant you permission to say amen anytime it is appropriate today. So you don't have to wait. You see, if someone else goes first, have sensitivity and discretion to be appropriate. How many of you ever heard somebody say amen at the wrong time? Anybody ever hear that? One time when, Pastor Mike, I was like, I was in Bible school and I was back home for Christmas and Pastor, you know, a few cities over, knew my dad and I think he wanted to be gone for the holidays or something. So he said, he knew I was in Bible school. Can Bruce come preach? And it was like, yeah, he's preached twice. So this will be the third time. That'll be great. And so I went there to preach on a Sunday morning at this church. And I was telling an illustration. And the illustration was about having endurance and not giving up. And I was telling a story about me when I was uh, in junior high. We had this local uh, uh, park. And uh, there were, at the local park, they had activities for students there. And so we had like a softball team that we played on. Uh, I think we were probably in seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And it was just something else to do that summer to have fun. And they had a track team they put together. Well, it wasn't really put together. It was kind of like, who wants to go run Saturday? You know, okay, yeah, let's go. So we went to this place and it was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was like 145 degrees on an asphalt track, which was like 193 degrees or something. I mean, I did see water starting to boil. That was, you know, I, I'm just saying. But I was telling that story, and I was telling how hot it was and how hard it was. And as I paused at one point of the moment, some people are programmed. Now, none of you have the problem that I'm aware of. Some people are programmed to say, like, amen, anytime there's a pause. Amen. There you go, just like that, like that. I mean, there's nothing to amen, but it's just like he paused. I'm supposed to say something, Amen. And so that's how this guy was, and I'm talking about, it was so hot out there, and you know, I was running, I was so tired, and he goes, amen. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm like 19, 20 years old, and in my mind, I'm going, why did he say amen? Is he saying amen? Because he's like, and so be it. Yes, it was hot, praise God. I don't know why he said amen. And so it like messed me up for the rest of the sermon. So say amen at the appropriate times like now. Amen. There you go, Okay. <laughs> But you can say amen in the scripture reading or whatever when you feel like it. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. 
The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death and my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as long as I live here on earth. I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord, in my anxiety. Now, that's a key phrase to, to, let me just go ahead and touch on this now. In my anxiety, I cried out to God, these people are all liars. Let me tell you what, what anxiety will do to your life. Anxiety always gives you a distorted view of the truth. Not everyone, and anxiety will also cause you to speak in absolute terms. So he says, all of these people are all liars. No, they weren't. His anxiety had forced him over the edge, but he did the right thing in turning to God. He said, in my anxiety, I cried this out. What, here's the verse I want you to look at. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me. I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. By the way, there's three sermons right there. So if I leave something out, read it on your own later. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. Oh, Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I'm your servant. Born into your household, you have freed me from my change. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. One, uh, one sermon that I looked at that dealt with this passage, just want to give you some of the main thoughts here. He says, the benefits that I receive from God is he listens to me, he delivers me, he gives me good things, and he brings freedom from bondage. Can somebody say amen to that? And he asked the question, what shall I render unto him? I will love him. I will call upon him. I will rest in him. I will walk with him. I will speak for him. I will take from him. Interesting thought here. One of the best ways that you render thanks to God, one of the best ways you offer God something for what he has done for you is by taking more. Now, that may sound really selfish up front, like, well, no. No, but here's the reality. When I taste of the goodness of God, it creates a hunger within me to want more of the goodness of God. And God is very pleased with that because God is inexhaustible. My grandkids think I'm inexhaustible. They're young and at that age where they, they think that way. And uh, they'll say Somewhat frequently, Poppy has lots of dollars. Because <laughs> we'll go to Sam's or we'll go somewhere, wherever we go. And if, if you do your grandkids different than me, you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm right. But it's okay. Do whatever you want to do. See, I think one of the benefits of being a grandchild is you get to spoil your grandkids without any of the fallout that happens because of that spoiling. Parents can deal with that later. You want the biggest icy they got? Sure, no problem. Let's get two. And mom and dad can fix that later when they get home. However, every one of us in the room, we are exhaustible. There is a place where we tap out. 
there is a spot where our resources are depleted. God is inexhaustible. You can keep coming and asking him for more. You need more wisdom? Ask for more. You need more guidance? Ask for more. You need healing in your body? Ask for more. Keep asking. Keep asking. Keep asking. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Why does Jesus say that? Because God is inexhaustible. There's no limit to what he has. He blesses us. So we're going to offer to him ourselves. And that's one of the ways of looking at that chapter. Let me, let me give some thoughts that come out of this chapter, but not directly as much as that outline I just gave you. First of all, ask the question, how can we re- ever repay God for all he's done for us? So normally when we borrow something from someone and with the intent of repaying them, we repay them in kind. And here's what I mean by that. If you loan me 50 bucks, then I give you 50 bucks back. Now, sometimes the, par- the person who borrows up front is unable to get that same currency back. So I don't have 50 bucks, so I give you some prized possession that's worth typically more than 50 bucks. How can we offer to God anything in kind? Is there any way that we could bestow upon him what he has bestowed upon us? Absolutely not. There's no way. So we have to look for a way to barter, if you will, back to God, to give to him something, not in kind, but in difference. What has God given us? He's given us forgiveness. He doesn't need forgiveness. He's given us love. We do give that back, but there are a lot of things he's given to us that we can't repay him in kind. He is kind. He is good. He's merciful. He protects us. He saves us, and he's trustworthy. The way we repay God most clearly is by living a life for him. So I want to talk about three, three choices you have today that will help you to honor God and help you to, to respond appropriately to the blessings of God. Number one is this, choose gratitude over grumbling. I've got a friend, and he may have said it here in our church. I don't think it was. I think it was in conversation. But a friend of mine who's a preacher, and he said, I want to change our national holiday from Thanksgiving Day to griping day. And you get to do it only on that one day, and then you can't do it anymore for the rest of the year. I kind of agree with him. I think it'd be great instead of having a Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving shouldn't be a day. Thanksgiving should be every day. And, and we tend to think, um, well, you know, if things were going better, I'd be more thankful. No, you wouldn't. Because it's an attitude of the heart. It's not an attitude of your circumstances. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says this. L- listen for key words or key thoughts here. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you hear anything in there that sounded like there should be some permanency to those attitudes? Joy is not, well, when you're having a good day. Joy helps you to have a good day. When you wake up in the morning, ask the Lord to make you joyful. 
you know, the, the, the uh, lady was meeting with the psychologist, having some issues, whatever, and, and he asked her, he said, do you wake up grumpy every day? And she said, no, sometimes I'll let him sleep. But uh, <laughs> the reality is, we have to work at this, most of us do, some may not, maybe some of you have the disposition where you wake up with a smile on your face every day, and you're just cheerful, and you're singing and whistling, and you're happy, the rest of us are wanting to hit you with a pillow, But there is a choice connected to how you start your day. You may have to pause for a few seconds, a few minutes. Maybe for some of you where it's really bad an hour or two to get in the right frame of mind. But there are so many words of Scripture that speak to us that God's expectation for you and for me is that we are filled with joy continually. Let me just, in your mind, go with me to the book of Philippians. Don't go there and look at it now. But what's the main theme of the book of Philippians? Joy. It's the book of joy. And, and the word joy, it's in there every chapter repeatedly. Be joyful. Be joyful. Paul is a typical public speaker, typical preacher, when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Because some of you don't hear it the first time. So he's like, I'm just going to keep driving this point home. Be filled with joy. It's a choice. It, it, it's, a, it's a focus of life. I will be joyful because God has been good to me. And certainly we see that in Psalm 116 repeatedly, repeatedly there. Thanks is mentioned about 140 times in the Bible, almost always in connection with God. And thankfulness was the foundation of Israel's relationship with God. Even when they left Egypt in the Exodus, part of that Passover service was spending time of being thankful for God's deliverance. But the reality is we have to continually work at that, and we'll see in just a minute they did not, and their relationship with God was fractured because they weren't thankful, but instead they grumbled and complained. Being grateful was practiced and encouraged by Jesus and by Paul. If you look at Colossians, it has four chapters, and seven times in four chapters, in the book of Colossians, Paul mentions the word thanks or thanksgiving or thankful. We are called by God to be grateful. If you're grateful for the blessings of God today, would you say amen? amen. Now, now here's the, here's the uh, statement that's contrary to our pop popular thinking or to our, the logic that we possess. We think the more stuff we have, the more thankful we will be. But the reality is, often the more stuff we have, the higher our expectation grows. How many of you remember? Not everybody's going to fit this category. If you're my age or older, you probably do. Maybe not, but probably you do. How many of you remember the first car that you had when you just, get, you know, you just turned whatever it was, 16, got your driver's license? For some of you, you may have saved up and had a nice one. For most of us, even after we saved up, we didn't have money to buy the nice one. Can I get a witness? But when we got that first car that maybe all the colors didn't match perfectly right where a fender had been replaced, 
and maybe the wheels weren't exactly the way they should be and tires maybe didn't have quite the tread that we would want. How many of you know we still had a good time driving that car? Now journey with me here. Then we get older, we make more money, we buy a nicer car, then we buy a nicer car, then a nicer car, and finally we get to the place, we got a pretty good car. Then we're going on a trip somewhere and we're gonna have to get a rental car. And they give us this rental car and we go, is, is, are you kidding me? You want me to drive this? It doesn't have near the features that my car have. This, this is unacceptable. Now go back to your 16-year-old self who had the beater that the, the paint didn't all match and the wheels were, were, were a little bit wobbly and the tires were a little bit worn and we were just like, I got a new car. But now that you have more, you're more thankful, right? Not necessarily. We can go on down the list. Think about your first house and how glad you were to have it. And now you're looking at new houses and you're like, this will never do. Show me four more. We, we, we become so hard to please because we've lost our gratitude for life. So you, you have to understand in our family the differences between Jan and I growing up. My dad was a pastor. Uh, her dad worked in the railroad business, and they had a very rigid way that they did Christmas, Thanksgiving, those things were set in stone. Uh, we've probably, we've tried to move more her way with our family and stuff, and we've tried to have, be at the right place at the right time. Because of the family dynamics, most of the time that was her house on those big special days, and we just catch my mom and dad, you know, back when we were younger, and, uh, on whatever hat day it happened to, to be on. I grew up as a kid... <laughs> Are there any kids in here that's being videoed? I probably shouldn't say this. I grew up as a kid not really having a whole lot of confidence in Santa Claus because I got my presents on the 21st, the 25th, the 27th. Just depending on what the schedule was like when we were going to be celebrating Christmas. And that's, so, you know, that's how it goes. So all that to say this, our youngest son and daughter live in Milwaukee. They're not going to be able to be here for Christmas this year. So Janet, just like surprise shock move of the world, when they were here for Thanksgiving, we did Christmas last Wednesday. Ha, beat you all. We've already done it in the books. And here was the coolest thing about Christmas 2022, other than the fact that it happened before Thanksgiving, which made my heart so happy. The coolest thing about it was watching our grandkids, and the younger they are, the more they are like this. So, so Thea, who goes to our church here, she's two, she'll be three in January, and she's at that age right now, no matter what you give her, she's like, ah, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and she got a little princess crown, and it was like, ah, she got a, Mickey, a Minnie Mouse watch. She can't tell time, but it's a Minnie Mouse watch. And it's like, this is so awesome. Meanwhile, if we're not careful, the rest of us are getting much more expensive gifts and going, okay, thanks. Anything else? Gratitude does not grow with the accumulation of things, but it's not hindered by them either if our heart is in the right place. Grumbling 
is condemned in the word of God. There's several words for grumbling, complaining, griping, murmuring. 1 Corinthians 10, 10, I told you the Israelites, their foundation of their relationship with God was their thankfulness to him. But we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 about those Israelites and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So I didn't mean to go into all these family stories and whatever, but Janet's parents, it's, it's kind of a running joke uh, for, for years and whatever, no matter what was going on, like don't throw that rock. I know someone who threw a rock and they lost an eye. Be careful going out to the mailbox because I know someone who was getting the mail, car hit them, killed them right there. And you always got to say this, when the car killed them, it killed them dead, as if there's any other way to be killed. <laughs> killed them halfway dead, then they died later, but no. And, and, and so there was all of these, these illustrations of this guy did this and he died. And this guy did this, he lost an eye. You know, this guy did this and, you know, his left hand was blown away or whatever. All these stories of illustration. But Paul trumps all of them, doesn't he, right here? And do not grumble as some of them did. They were all killed by the destroying angel. All right, see you later. No grumbling allowed. Grumbling is against the nature of God. I wish I had time to, to go into this with you here. It's a beautiful article that I read uh, by a lady named Hannah Whitehall Smith. Uh, she lived in the 18, born 1830 through 1890, I think, or something like that. She was a Quaker and part of the holiness movement. And she wrote an article around 1870. Actually, there's a whole book that she wrote that this comes out of, and, and it was called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. And uh, it was published in 1870. And in one chapter of it, it's called Thanksgiving versus Complaining. I wish I had time to read it to you, but she says this. Here's some of the topics, the headlines. God is in everything good, so be thankful. And he says, she says, God may not have ordered everything, but we can always give thanks to God because he redeems everything. To the eye of sense, it was Joseph's wicked brothers who had sent him into Egypt. But Joseph, looking at it with the eyes of faith, said, God sent me. Wow. Talk about a different attitude, an attitude of gratitude or an attitude of grumbling. Because I, I guarantee you, there are many of us in this room, had we been Joseph, it wouldn't have been God sent me. It was like, I remember those guys and I will get them back. And when I had that chance, I would have, and he made them squirm a little bit. <laughs> he did have some fun with them. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, by the way, uh, how he kind of gets back at them just a little bit. But in the end, he's incredibly gracious to them. We need to be careful that we refuse to grumble and complain when things aren't going our way. Psalm 37, 23 through 26 says, if the Lord delights in a man's ways, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They, speaking of the righteous deal, are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. There's a statement here of how they continue to hope and they choose not to be moved in the wrong direction. When we complain, we are embracing the action of ungrateful people. When we murmur, 
And uh, in the article I referred to a while ago, this is in there. When we murmur, when we gripe, when we, when we grumble about what's going on, we are bringing accusation against God. And I'll come back to some of the thoughts that connect back to this in just a moment. Let me, I jumped a verse up, so let me get back to where I was on point number two. Choose generosity over greed. 2 Corinthians 9, I love this. Verses 6 through 16 is the whole paragraph. This is where I struggle because I hate pulling a verse out, even though it's, it is in context. But I'd just like for you to get the whole picture. It's so much better. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Somebody I just say, praise God for that right there. Paul said to the Corinthians, you will be enriched in every way. How many of you can say, praise God? But here's the key reason, so that you can always be generous. God has so many options available to him of how he could have done things in life, and many of them would have left us totally out of the picture. (laughs) No one's ever given counsel to God, and I would dare not step in that point, but I would probably give a different plan than the one that he created. Mine would have been like, God, you have all the wealth, you have all the gold, you own all the hills, all the cattle on the hills, all the trees that grow out in the fields, you own it all, God, so why don't you just claim ownership of it all and you can divide money out as it needs to go and meet needs and supply what needs to be done. But God has said, I'm going to put it there for all of you to to steward, to watch over, to manage, and in so doing, you'll have the privilege of being involved in the process. God wants all of us to receive in abundance so that we can always be generous. And when you take your gift to those who in need, they will thank God. I read Psalm 37 for you just a moment ago. Generosity is the nature of God. Probably the most well-known verse in the Bible would be what? Y'all know, because so when I used to be camp director, We'd be interviewing students to who'd be the camper of the week or whatever. And I would always say to them, what is your favorite scripture verse? 99.9% of the time, it would be, oh, I love John 3, 16. Because it's the only verse I know. If they ever gave a verse other than John 3, 16, they automatically were camper of the week. It was just that simple. If you had any other verse besides John 3.16. But what is John 3.16? For God so loved the world that, understand what the word that means. That is a connection between this, this attitude and this action. God so loved the world that he, he gave. What did he give? His only son. Many of us in this room have gone through this experience when Jen and I were dating, and I knew that I wanted to ask her to marry me, I saved money and, and did what I could, and, and I bought a ring for her, and Bruce so loved Janet that he gave her a ring. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is the greatest example of generosity. It is his nature It is who he is. It's been said, it's an old quote. It's a tad bit corny and a little bit worn out, but it still works. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. 
If you love, you're going to want to give. You're going to want to participate. You're going to want to do something that expresses the love that you have. Generosity breaks the chains of greed. The chains of greed keep people from enjoying life. The chains of greed keep them pursuing more. And I think that Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, I had somebody get upset with me one time, but I hope you'll hear what I'm saying. Not everything that Solomon says in Ecclesiastes is a blueprint for you to live your life by. If you don't know that, you just didn't really read Ecclesiastes very well. Some of the things he says in there come from a very wrong basis, and they're given to us as an example. It's still the Word of God. It's still without fault or error, but, it, but it's not given to us as this is the pathway for you. Everybody's an example in life. Some are examples to follow. Some are examples to avoid. We all got that crazy uncle. Don't nobody want to be like him. I'm just saying. Some are examples of some devoid. Solomon gets this right, though, when he says, what's the purpose of life? You work all your life. You save. You, 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 you're careful with all your things you have, and you get it just right, and then you die, and you give it to somebody else, and they spend it all. There's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about leaving an inheritance for your children. I would tell you this. The greatest inheritance you can leave them can't be used to purchase a car or a house. The greatest inheritance is a good name. Now, if you can also leave a little money, there's nothing wrong with that. It may be a benefit or blessing, but what a tragedy if the only thing that you left your kids was money. And you can make the amount as big as you want to make it. And I'm still going to say, what a tragedy if the only thing that you left your kids was money. Aren't you glad you can leave them a godly heritage? Generosity is not about the amount. It's about the attitude. Some people misread that thought and they go, this is great. So I don't have to give very much. No, 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 no. You're missing the point altogether. Generosity moves you from the position of saying, what is the least that I can give and still be looked at as acceptable to a position of what is the most I can give? How can I do the best that I can? Um, Generosity moves us from comparison and causes us to be thankful what we can do. Let me talk about greed real quick. Here's Ecclesiastes speaking of that a moment ago. Solomon says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Hebrews 13, 5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Jesus said, Luke 12, 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Greed will destroy you. Greed prevents you from experiencing joy and contentment in life. So choose gratitude over grumbling. Choose generosity over greed. Third thing, choose kindness over harshness. And by that, I simply mean this. When you receive the blessings of God, look at other people with compassion and kindness, not with the judgmental attitude of if you were more like me, 
your life would be a whole lot better. A lot of what you have and a lot of what I have, I had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. It was the favor of God. There's one thing that I see clearly in Scripture is that God wants all of his children to walk in humility, not arrogance. I may get get a little bit of a soapbox moment right here, but I get so worn out and frustrated by people in ministry who the biggest thing they do is gripe and complain and tear down everybody else. It's on Facebook like crazy. Hopefully you don't see those sites. But it's on there like crazy. I don't look at Facebook that often. I don't deal with Facebook ever. I blocked somebody the other day. First time I've ever done that. I said, I'm tired of this, this junk. Blocked. Because the person was going on and on about how their understanding of doctrine and anyone who doesn't see it the way I do, you, how could you be so ignorant and how could you be so blind and you need to be more like me? And I thought, no, I don't. Delete. In terms of Facebook, you're no longer my friend. If we're not careful, as we get blessed in life, we start looking at other people with this condescending attitude that if you could just be more like me and you could get your life together, you wouldn't have all the problems you have. Do you realize that you didn't choose to be born in this country? God chose that for you. There are people who are smarter than you, who work harder than you, who don't have one-fiftieth of what you have. They're just born in the wrong place. It's not that God was mad at them. It's just the way life goes sometimes. See, I, you know, I think one thing we need to get, get away from is trying to act like we have it all figured out. All the people who think they got the dots connected, they just wear me out. <laughs> That's you. Stop it. You're not that smart. You're not that good. Neither am I. And we need to give God thanks for everything. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. I'm waiting. That's an amen point right there. That's a shout amen point right there. Let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. I think that Paul got a little kick out of writing that one. Because he went on with it a little bit. He just didn't say one little thing. I mean, he got a list. Get rid of all that, along with all malice. 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's kind of what I was just saying right there. Summed up in one verse, do justly, love kindness, walk with God in humility. Kindness is the product of being filled with the Spirit. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe that everyone should experience the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in your life. We believe it's available for you. We believe that the initial physical evidence of, of that baptism, and I I'll try to go real quick through this here. I want to give a little bit of thought to this. 
is speaking in tongues. That's the Assembly of God doctrine. We don't think it's the only evidence. Okay? You with me? And we believe there are different capacities of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. We believe that when you get saved, that you receive the Holy Spirit. That is a doctrinal truth of every Christian church that I know. The Holy Spirit comes in you at salvation. We believe that not only can you have the Holy Spirit in you, but the Holy Spirit can fill your life completely, being filled with the Spirit. We believe it can even overflow. There's another category called the baptism, though, which is a different picture. And I've done this as an illustration many times here at the church. I take a cup of water, and I say the, the picture of water is the Holy Spirit, and I pour a little in. Now you're saved. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Now you're filled. It's up to the top. And normally I'll have like a tray up here, and I'll keep pouring. I'll say, now it's overflowing in you. Now, all three of those are good things. None of them are going to be despised or condemned. You're saved. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You're growing in the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You're, filled. You're, you're growing to the point now you can't even contain the Holy Spirit. But baptism takes the cup, picks it up, and drops it in the water. Now you're no longer the container, but the Holy Spirit is. And that's available for all of us. But let me tell you that if you say you're baptized in the Spirit, but you do not exhibit the product of the Spirit, you got a big problem. The fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces, is also one of the signs that the Holy Spirit dwells in you in abundance. Be filled with the Spirit and display the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is kindness. A similar one that goes with it is gentleness. Ephesians, let me back up. Kindness, fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is not weakness, but rather controlled response. Harshness, the, up, the opposite side. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, sometimes people act the way they do because of you. When, when I, I have the capacity, when I'm dealing with people, my response has a big impact on how that conversation's going to go. And when my conversation starts off with, well, I'll tell you one thing, I can tell you that's not going to be a good conversation. <laughs> if my conversation says, let me understand unless it's given with sarcasm, it has the possibility of maybe going in the right direction. I can't control it, but I can influence it. And here's what the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 15. When we have a soft answer, it kind of brings everything back down a notch. But when we have that harsh word, we just cranked it up. It would be like this. It'd be like if you're riding your car and... You're, 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 whoever's riding with you, your spouse, your friend is riding with you. They go, it's really getting hot in here. And you go, you think that's hot? Whoop. And you crank it up five degrees warmer. How many of you know they're not going to be real happy with that? Because your word wasn't thoughtful, considerate, kind. It was harsh. 
A harsh word stirs up anger. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul uses this to talk about relationship in the house. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, parents, don't poke at your kids until they snap. It also goes on to say, don't ignore their development but have a plan and a strategy. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I've been thinking about this lately. I may get some people to help me, and I may work on this, but I've been thinking about putting a book together called Dad Talks and maybe having 50 topics in there that you could give to, to, to parents and say, here's some things you can talk to your kids about. So get a strategy plan on when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, and talk to them about these things. I mean, i got to be honest. I think for most of, uh, most of us, we're probably like this. I'm this way with my kids. I tried to show them, and that certainly is most important. But there are probably some conversations I should have had to make it very clear. Fathers should have wisdom. If they don't, that's why we're going to put this book together. Lead your children in the ways of God. A harsh and critical spirit brings despondency, but encouragement brings life. Can I give you this word, this thought? Make sure for every word of correction you give that you give out five words of encouragement. And in your correction, let your correction lead toward an encouraging thought. Treat others the way you want to be treated. By the way, that's called the golden rule in case you didn't know. And more importantly, this is out of what we just read in Ephesians 4, treat others the way God has treated you. How did, how did God treat you? He forgave you because of Christ's work in your life. View the long-term outcome, not just the moment, momentary problem. See others through the lens of a humble heart. Let your heart be filled with gratitude, generosity, and kindness in view of all God's done for you. You know this, and here's a good example of this right now. The last thing I want to read to you is out of Romans chapter 11, going through chapter 12. When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, he did not put chapters and verses there. They were added later, the reason why it gives us handles to get to the same place quicker. Otherwise, I would be saying, open the book of Romans and go back about three-fourths of the way. Okay, try to find something that says something. It'd take forever. Of course, I just printed it out for you so you can. <laughs> That's even easier. Romans chapter 11, verse 34. He's been talking about Israel and how they have, have wandered away from God and, and all of that that's going on there. And in verse 34, he, he shifts a little bit earlier than this, actually, he shifts to this praise, this, this psalm, this hymn of praise to God. And he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who turned up the piano? I almost jumped off the stage right there. A little private rapture was going on. I don't know what that was. Just kidding, Russell. I love our tech people and our sound people and our, they do a great job. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore. Okay, no, 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 notice this. Therefore, 
It's always a connecting word, connecting what has just been said to what's going to be said now. It's very unfortunate that Romans chapter 12, the break comes right there. It's really, I wish they hadn't done that. Because chapter 12 connects into 11. Who has, who's counsel the Lord? Who's given him a gift that, that, that they need to be repaid now? He says, what, he goes, what are you talking about? And he says here in, in verse 36, for from him and through him and in him and to him are, are all things. To him be glory forever. Therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says here that the way that we respond to the blessings of God most appropriately is by giving him our entire life. And he says that's reasonable. And it is the worship that God desires from you. Have you ever thought from heaven's perspective how foolish it must look to the angels when we think that we're going to give a big enough offering that heaven's going to be impressed by that? I I mean, probably for most of us in the room, I, I would certainly think, for me for sure, If I had the ability to drop a million-dollar check in the offering today, I would be thinking that would be a day to remember. And God would be basically looking at it going, that won't even take care of the maintenance on one of the streets of heaven. But good try. If I gave all of the hours to, to read and study the Word, but my heart's not there, I haven't given him my life. I can see one of the angels saying to me, oh, did you die on the cross and we missed that? And I can never repay God in kind for what he's done for me. We sing a song about it. All I've got is Praise. All I've got to offer the king is this thing that doesn't seem like much. All I have to offer is me. But, oh, God, if you can use me in view of all that you've done for me, to give you my life, give you my heart, give you my family, give you everything I have, it's not much but I give it in response to your blessings in my life. We're going to take communion right now. If you didn't get the elements, if you're new to our church, they're out there on the way in. You pick them up. And there's a lot of crazy uh, doctrine connected to communion. There's a particular belief that says that when you take the bread and the juice, it actually becomes the physical body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Most of us just reject that quickly. doesn't seem logical or right to us. There's another that when you take it, it kind of mingles with it, becomes something different. I think the fear that I have for me personally is that it's too easy to make it logical. 
It's too easy for me to connect the dots and go, well, the bread represents the body and the juice is the blood of Christ and it's this logical thought process. And if I'm not careful, I push all of the supernatural part of it over in a corner somewhere. This is not even just about taking bread. It's not just about drinking juice. The substance is always bigger than the symbol. This is the symbol but it signifies something so much greater. Signifies the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. And that by bringing him into my life, I become a child of God. All of my sins are washed away, never to be placed against me again. And I pray that as we partake of communion, and by the way, the, the, the Greek word, of thanksgiving is a word that's used to describe communion in the Catholic Church, Eucharist, and it means to give thanks to God. In this moment right now, I think that should be the ultimate attitude that we have today. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice of Jesus who was sinless but became my sin offering. He was beaten he suffered because of my sin. And now I identify with him in his death so that I may also share in his resurrection. Would you take the bread, open that seal on the bottom and get the bread out. Can we move past just a, a, a this, is, this is my problem I deal with. Can we move past just a simple, logical formula that says bread represents the body of Christ? And can we think about it with a supernatural awareness of what Christ did for us? I pray this morning that you would have revelation of the broken body of Christ that would fill your heart with thanksgiving that would result in total dedication to God. Would you partake of the bread remembering the broken body of Jesus? that he took the cup and he said this cup is my blood which is shed for you and I pray that you have a fresh awareness a divine revelation of what the shed blood of Jesus does in your life would you partake of the cup with me would you stand across this room and can we do what this word says we do at this time and give thanks to God thanks be to God when you lift your hands lift your heart lift your voice and praise to him we bless you almighty God we thank you Lord we could never repay you but in view of all of your blessings we commit our lives to you.
We are your servants. We are your children. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for your grace. And I encourage you this morning to choose gratitude over grumbling. If you'll do that, would you say amen? Can I encourage you to choose generosity over greed? If you'll do that, would you say amen? Can I thirdly challenge you to choose kindness instead of harshness? If you'll do that, will you say amen? We don't do offerings like we used to do anymore. We don't have past the buckets or whatever, and we're not going to put them out here today, but you can give offering as you leave in the drop box that's on the way out. You can go online and give at the app or on the website. You can do that, or you can mail it into the church. Any of those things will work. And I so appreciate your faithfulness in giving. We had our annual victory rally just a little over a month ago, or about a month ago, and the last 12 months were just incredible. How God blessed you and how you faithfully gave to the church to help us do the things. Missions giving will be one of our best years we've ever had. We reduced the debt on the building substantially. Uh, We paid all of our bills and have money in the bank, and that's because, number one, because God is faithful, but number two, because you're generous and faithful like Him. And I want to thank you for giving. Coming up in the next few weeks, uh, a lot of Christmas stuff is happening around here. So be sure and check out the website and and the app uh, for those things. Tonight, I think around 5 o'clock or so, brand new light display on the front of the church. just like right out here. Uh, You can pull up. It'll have music. Tell you, turn your radio to whatever on the dial. The music synchronized to it, and it flashes and zigs and zags and does all kind of stuff and that's the beginning of what we're going to try to do with our light display to get the gospel message out to more people this year is not the finished product if you would like to donate money to help us get the finished product it's a very expensive endeavor so uh, we spent quite a bit this year already it's a starting point we're going to do more uh, but uh, I'm glad we can be a light in our community so thank you for, uh, for being a part of that Pastor Russell why don't you lead us just in a song of worship, and then Pastor Kevin will come and give a dismissal.